Welcome. Welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. It's good to gather together. It's good to see you all as we gather here before God. I want to give a welcome to all of us who have gathered here in person, but also a welcome as we have uh, folks who are worshiping online. And as we've said before, and we confess again that we trust that the Spirit of God unites us to one another uh, in Christ, that by His grace, He takes those of us who are apart and brings us together, reminding us that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, so welcome. Uh, we'll have a, a shortened uh, liturgy and a couple of things that are not part of the liturgy. One, we are not having a greeting time or a passing of the peace. And so for those of you who are here present, I encourage you after the service, as long as the weather is cooperating, that we can go outside and, and, and catch up with each other on the sidewalk. Also, there is a Kids, uh, Kids Week parade after the service. And so encourage you all to stay and cheer on the parade. Uh, if you are worshiping at home, I encourage you to take a moment to, to greet those who you're worshiping with, pass the peace, or send a text of greeting to someone. And also, we're not having an offering during this time, so you can give online, or there is a gray basket in the back of the sanctuary. You can give an, uh, your gift there to the work of the church. Well, welcome. Uh, as we get ready to come before God, let's take a moment of quiet to prepare ourselves to come into God's presence. Our call to worship today is from Psalm 106, and although we're not singing out loud, um, if you stand with us, we're going to have a responsive reading. thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare his praise? Both we and our people have sinned, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedness. Our people, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled of the Red Sea. Save them for his namesake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry. He led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. Save 
You may be seated. Please join me in prayer. God of grace, you have given us minds to know you, hearts to love you, voices to sing your praise. Make us aware of your presence in our worship that we may celebrate your glory and your beauty. And Father, for many of us, it may be hard to come this evening and not be distracted by the continued questions, the uncertainties, the longings that hover around us. So God, remind us again that our home, that our peace, that our sense of security, that our flourishing is not tied up in all of the enticements and remedies of this world. Give us faith to believe that you are the calmer of the seas, that the water that you give, it quenches the deeper longings of our soul. May your perfect love, your love that is lavish and relentless, may it meet us in the places we find ourselves this evening. May it penetrate our stress, our anxiety, our fear. May it meet us all in the ways, may it, may it meet us in all the ways we seize control and seek only our own interest. May it find us when we feel alone and checked out. Father, remind us that we are your sons and daughters in Christ. Lord, we also want to pray for our city, pray for the, for the end of the looting and the ransacking taking place. We pray for the end of violence and the persistent killings. As your people, may we bear witness to your love for the other, those who are different than us, those who even seem like our enemies. Give us courage to be peacemakers and reconcilers in our own relationships, to repent boldly, that those of us, that those around us may see your self-giving love, full of kindness and grace. Father, we know that your love, it bore flesh, that it walked through the darkness of the valley of death and upon the cross. And God, as you lead your people, as you led your people out of Egypt through the wilderness, to that certain place of promise. May Jesus lead us now through our sorrow and grief to the life and joy he brings through his resurrection. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we'll turn now to a time of confession, a time to come openly and honestly before God, a time to, uh, to come not... Uh, mustering up some sort of deal with God, but to come knowing that it is his kindness, it is his mercy that draws us close. And so we'll do this together as, as a church and then have a time of quiet confession. Lord, we gather as your people, tired, hungry, seeking to hear your word and to know your will for our lives. God, God of mercy. mercy. You have told us what is good and what you require of us, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. Amen. Take a moment of quiet confession.
Father, we confess our sin, knowing that Jesus, who was rich in glory, became poor for our sake, so that in him alone we might become rich in mercy and grace. We give thanks that in his name, amen. Well, let's hear the words of assurance. They come from Psalm 31. How abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you. scripture lesson for tonight from the Old Testament is from the book of Exodus, chapter 14, verses 21 through 29. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord, in the pillar of fire and cloud, looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The New Testament lesson for today is from the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white, as white wool, white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as if in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, 
and his face was like the sun shining with full force. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. I was dead, and see, I am alive forever and ever, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to uh, be with you and to worship, as I said, and I'm thankful for a chance to look at the scriptures together. And we're going to look at the Gospel of John, as we've been doing this summer. And we're going to continue in chapter 6. And as I've mentioned, and I just want to kind of repeat, that one of the ways to understand the, the first half of John's Gospel is to see that Jesus accomplishes seven miracles, seven wondrous signs. And we, last week in chapter 6, we saw the... Um, the fourth of those signs in which Jesus fed 5,000 using just five loaves and two fish. And today we'll look at the next sign, the fifth sign that comes right after that, that Jesus walks upon the sea, that Jesus walks on the sea. And the reason to mention these signs and how they kind of organize the first half of John's gospel is that these seven signs correspond, I think, with the seven days of creation in Genesis that God used his powerful word to bring his good world into existence. And now in Jesus, we're seeing again his powerful word in flesh at work to renew all things. Not to cancel the world, but to renew it and restore it to what God intended it to be. So we're going to look at this fifth sign of power that Jesus does, that him walking on the water. Let's read together. This is John 6, verse 16 through 25. It's printed on the back of your order. You can listen as I read or or follow along. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But Jesus said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for gathering us and hearing a chance to hear your word and we pray that your spirit would minister to us we come as those anxious to hear needing to hear from you and so lord we give you thanks that you are not silent but that you have spoken and we pray that you would be with us in jesus name we pray amen 
Well, as we look at this miraculous sign of walking on the water, of bring, you know, entering into the storm that his disciples were facing, I want to have two questions that the sermon's around. The first question is, is what do we make of this event? What, what do we make of this sign? And the second is, how do we respond? So the first one is really, really what's happening right now? What, what do we make of what Jesus does? Well, following the feeding the 5,000, when evening came, the disciples went down to the water and they climbed into their boat and started across the sea. Even though they were tired, I imagine that they cannot stop talking amongst themselves about what they had just witnessed, right? They just witnessed Jesus feed thousands of people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Well, as they walk along to the shore, Jesus remains in the mountain. You might recall from last week that he had sought out this area because he wanted to have a quiet place, a retreat for he and his disciples. So after feeding the crowd and after the disciples leave, Jesus is resting and praying. The disciples climb into their boat and they set off. The sea is large, about 12 miles by 7 miles. And a few miles into their trip, in the darkness of the night, in the darkness of the water, the sea becomes rough with a storm of strong winds. Now, we were reminded just this week of the power of storms, right? If you were here in Chicago, you know what it was like for the sky to suddenly become dark in a moment, for great winds to come, and even for trees to fall, trees that were reaching high into the sky. Maybe you were caught in it or took shelter, or had branches or trees fall among your yard or your street. In the Bible, the sea, the deep water, was associated with chaos, things being out of control. The deep, especially during a storm, reminded everyone, even experienced fishermen, even those who had grown up around the water, reminded them of a power that was beyond them, a power they couldn't stop just by their own desires. And so the disciples feel this force. They know it's beyond their strength. But suddenly, as the disciples try to row, can you picture that, trying to row, as they cling to their boat, Jesus approaches them. A passage says they see him walking on the sea, and they are frightened. In their fear, Jesus speaks to them, It is I, do not be afraid. It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat arrived at the land to which it was going. So they asked, what, what do we make of this event? What do we make of this sign? I want us to see that here is a moment of strange glory, the strange glory of the eternal word in flesh shining shining through as the powerful word that spoke forth creation, shining through as the powerful word that continues to speak, especially in our fears. I recently saw an article that had a headline a woman is stunned when her new driver's license arrives in the mail. The story goes on that she opened her envelope, and on her license where her photo should have been, there was simply a photo of an empty gray chair. <laughs> there was a photo, a photo in the story, and there it was, her license plate from Tennessee. 
that the person's information was there, but where the photo was supposed to be was just the chair where she was supposed to be sitting, I guess, but it was empty. Well, after first being confused by her call, the story says that the DMV apologized <laughs> and said they don't know why, but the wrong image was attached to her profile. I wonder if she had to take a number, you know, and wait in line for her new photo to be added to her license. For most of us, a driver's license is one of the primary forms of identification, right? How someone knows that what we look like or corresponds to, you know, what we say that we are. And I mentioned that picture, this idea of, of, you know, a chair being there instead of her photo, because in our passage, we're invited to take a look at the identity, a photo in a sense of who Jesus is. That his image, his appearance shines through. And in this case, it is a deep and multi-layered image telling us of his significance. John doesn't include a formula saying it is written, but throughout this passage, there are all sorts of Old Testament allusions, echoes, that give shape to who Jesus is, shape to his photograph. And there's two parts in particular that give shape to who he is. One is his actions, that he is a sea walker, and his words saying, it is I. And so I want to look at those for a moment to get a sense of shape of who Jesus is, this identity, that he is the one who walks upon the sea. You see, in Job 9 in the Old Testament, we read that it's Yahweh, the creator God of Israel, who alone stretches out the heavens and who has trampled the waves of the sea. To walk on the water, according to the scripture, was the exclusive right, the exclusive prerogative of the God of Israel. In the language of God, walking on the sea in Job 9 is virtually identical as the language we find in our passage. Like Yahweh, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, walking upon trampling the stormy waves, bringing peace out of chaos, rest in the midst of fear. And building off of this presentation as a sea walker, John sets forth this work of Jesus in the context of the Exodus, a retelling of God's people coming out of bondage. As we heard Gerard read, this passage is really all about the Exodus. There was the mention of the Passover, that Jesus feeds the people in the wilderness with bread. And the water in the Exodus story is significant. For at the Red Sea, the children of Israel after being set free, they cross through by the power of God. The water parts for the people of Israel, but the water closes again upon those who seek to hold them and to oppress them, to bind them. We heard it read, the Lord drove the sea back by a strong wind all night and made the sea dry, the waters divided. Here again, Jesus is presented as the one who enters into the deep, into the struggles and fears entering into the chaos and making a way for freedom and justice. The actions of God in Christ is that he walks upon the waters, that he is a sea walker. And not only do we see who he is by these actions, but by his words, he says, it is I, do not be afraid. The waves were troubling, but even his appearance was more so. Who is this and what is happening? And Jesus, in response to their fears, says, it is I. And that language, the Greek that he uses, is literally, I am. 
I exist. In doing so, Jesus is utilizing a specific phrase, I am, for himself. This is the echo of God's name in Exodus. When Moses asks God, who should I say sends me? God says, I am, Yahweh. Yahweh. I am, I exist. I do not depend on anyone else for my being. And Jesus uses that same construction to speak of who he is and why his disciples can leave their fears behind. The prophet Isaiah picks this up in the name of God. When writing in chapters 40 through 55, Isaiah talking about the renewal of all things that God is going to do through his suffering servant. Seven times God says, I am, using that same name for himself. It is Yahweh, I am, who dries up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass through. You see, all these allusions are all pointing to this idea of who Jesus is. And so when we ask, what are we supposed to do with this event, this sign? We're saying that this is a picture of who we're invited to worship. Remember the license with the empty chair in the photo. This question of who are we or how we would show who we are, our identity. The image here of Jesus is not vague, it's not hidden, it is deep and multi-layered. Here's God in flesh. Come to his people to speak his presence and their struggle. Here's God's powerful word that created the sea and promises to remake all things. That's what's going on in this event. And so we can ask the second question of what do we do? How do we respond? And I want to suggest that we respond by entering into the scene. This is a chance for us to use our imaginations. <laughs> you can call them a holy imagination, to, to picture the scene. We can enter it through the crowds. Did you hear their, their wonder and their confusion? How is Jesus here? He didn't get it in the boat. He didn't come in the boat with the disciples or our boat. How is it that he is here? Who is this? We can enter the scene with the disciples. Unlike the crowds, the disciples encountered Jesus on the water, in the deep. They feel their weakness and they see and hear Jesus and with joy they invite him to come into the boat with them. So how do we respond? Well, maybe you are like the crowds, intrigued, and from a distance trying to make sense of who Jesus is. Or maybe you're like the disciples in the boat, heading for your destination, rowing according to your plans, but suddenly the wind picks up, the sea becomes rough. We know this, right? In the day-to-day -day, or as we look to the future, we feel our limits, we feel the uncertain movements of the world around us. Jesus doesn't say, do not be afraid because there's no reason to fear or that's somehow wrong to be afraid. He doesn't offer us a denial. Rather, in the midst of very real struggles, he offers himself. As I've been reflecting on this passage and trying to put myself into it, into the boat with the disciples, I've been struck by the truth that struggle, our struggle, is an opportunity for new understanding. The struggle in our life is an opportunity for new understanding. 
I'm not simply saying it's good for us to struggle. But rather, our struggle, the experience of uncertainty, which I know all of us are feeling, it creates the possibility of disruption with how things normally are. Disruption with the old order of things. It creates the possibility of you and, and me reevaluating what we pursue or how we see ourselves or see the world around us. You see, as the disciples struggle in the storm, as they are wondering when things will calm down, they encounter Jesus walking on the water, and this encounter invites them to the possibility of something new. Jesus did not arrive so things could go back to normal. I think we should hear that. Jesus did not arrive so things would simply go back to normal. He walked on the sea and spoke as someone who brings a new peace, a new rest, a new possibility, a new way of seeing ourselves. And he can do this because he is not captive to the way things are in us or around us. He is not captive to those things. I wonder, as part of our imagining of the scene, I wonder what it would be like in our losses or uncertainties to see and hear someone who's not captive to the ways of the world. I recently came across an article by a scholar named Stephen Rash on Iraq, the country of Iraq. What comes to mind when you think of Iraq? I imagine all sorts of things can come to mind, but this article is titled, Iraqi Christians Bearing Witness, Love and Forgiveness Amid Death and Revenge. If you're like me, I don't think much about the church or Christians. I don't think about that very often when I think of Iraq. The article reads, the Christians of Iraq desperately need the support of their brothers and sisters around the world. Yet in their witness, they stand to give more than they receive, both to the Western church and to their own neighbors and persecutors. You see, over the last two decades, Iraq may have been the most divided place on earth with major war, sectarian violence, horrific spasms of genocide. And in the midst of large populations of Arab Sunnis and Shiite Muslims and Kurds, there is a persecuted religious minority of Christians. The Christian population used to be 1.3 million, but after two decades of violence, persecution, and displacement, it's about 200,000. And one of the archbishops in Iraq he says this, we Christians who remain have a critical role to play in our country, to give daily witness to the teachings of Christ, to show the truth of Christ that we might provide a living example to our Muslim neighbors of a path to a world of forgiveness, of humility, of love, and of peace. I'm speaking of the fundamental truth of forgiveness which we Christians of Iraq can share, and share from a position of unique moral clarity. We can forgive those who murder us, who tortured us, who sought to destroy us. In the name of Christ, we can forgive them. And so we say to our Muslim neighbors, learn, learn this from us. Help us, let us help us heal. Your wounds are as deep as ours. Let us heal our wounds and tortured country together. I was struck by the power of those words. But I want us to ask, where does such an understanding, where does such a desire for forgiveness come from? Such an understanding, such a disruption of how things normally are, does not simply happen. 
is the fruit of encountering one not captive to the ways of the world. Of one not captive to violence or revenge, not captive to the normal exchanges and evaluations. It's the fruit of asking the sea walker into your boat. Such a way comes from seeing and hearing Jesus in our struggles. See, our struggles, again, are an opportunity for new understanding, for the way things have always been to be disrupted within us and around us. In our time of confusion, we can continue rowing according to our plans. You and I, we can focus on our production, what we're going to get done. We can try to get back to normal. We can blame others. Or we can possibly ask in Jesus' presence. We can ask, how do we, how do we see one another? Do we see others with the radical dignity of those made in the image of God? Do we see our neighbors as those we're called to love? We can ask in the presence of Jesus as he speaks of his ways to us, what about our gifts and our resources? Are they simply there for my own purposes and abundance or that I can generously bless others? We can ask questions that possibly disrupt us. Why am I working? What am I pursuing? Why do I go to school? How do my endeavors fit into Jesus joining the boat of my life? Our struggles are opportunities for Jesus to pot to a new way, newness. See, Jesus, the sea walker, speaks of himself and God's name. He enters our struggles to challenge our assumptions and the way things are. And he does this with love and with grace to free you and me, to walk in the path of the redeemed. He invites us to see ourselves, to see others, to see our resources and work, and to see God himself in new ways So the one who's come to us in flesh. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a good and gracious God. We thank you that not only are you the creator of all things, but that you have seen fit to enter into your creation. That your powerful word not only brought things into existence, but by your powerful word, you're renewing all things in Christ. And so we ask that you do that work in us. That we would behold you and find the wonder of you. And that we would even allow you into the boat of our lives. That we may begin to walk in new ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's, let's pray together as a church the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Benign is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I invite you to stand with me that you can receive a closing blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Go in peace. Mm -hmm.